Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis 21 on what is the best way to learn from the Bible and the four steps of seeing the person, what happened, and considering personalities and looking over the scene when something wonderful happens. Now, you can download this message or listen to it all for free at friendshipwithgod.org and also find it on iTunes.com. So friendshipwithgod.org or iTunes.com. Now, we want to remind you that on Saturday, September 27th, we have our Museum Day coming up at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. If you're able to make it and you're in the Southern California area, it's our ninth annual Museum Day Festival and grand opening of our new dinosaur and Bible exhibit. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, is also the owner and operator of the original Creation Museum, the Creation Earth History Museum here in Santee, California. He wants to invite you and your family or friends that you know in the Southern California area or if you are coming into the Southern California area during Saturday, September 27th. We want you to come out and hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort of Living Waters Ministries as he teaches about apologetics in the last days. And Dr. Jason Lyle of the Institute for Creation Research on what really happened to the dinosaurs. And Eric Hovind of Creation Today will teach on the flood being a global or local flood and also about skeptics then and now. And this year's theme is Noah's Ark. And we'll have an exhibit called Animals After the Ark. And we'll showcase real wildlife animals such as zebras and even zorses and legless lizards. We'll have a uh, Creation Kids Club there, as well as a whole Noah's Adventure Land, including a petting zoo, rides, games, bouncies, face painting, more. We'll even be showing Ray Comfort's new movie on Noah's Ark, and also uh, the new Genesis 3D movie. We'll also have food concessions there, including catastrophic coffee, Ice Age ice cream, and Shim Ham and J-Pest barbecue. We'll also have our Creation Bookstore open, including our entire museum. It's a free, fun-filled day out here in Santee, California at the Creation Earth History Museum. We'll be open from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, September 27th. Make your plans to be here. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051, or go to creationsd.org, creationsd.org. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us about the best way to learn from the Bible from Genesis chapter 21. If you open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 21. And uh, before, let's just pray to God. Father, thank you so much for being a God of light. Lord, the Lord is the light of my soul. You're the light of our souls this morning, Lord. And so as we come to you and we open this book, the book of light, we pray, illumine us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 21, beginning at verse 8. Genesis 21, 8. Okay. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice." For in Isaac shall thy seed be called, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered 
in the, in the wilderness of Beersheba. Okay. Now, you remember that in our last study, we saw this was really a happy time. It was a very happy occasion here in the life of Isaac. This was really a celebration of life here with Isaac and the weaning of Isaac. I mean, there was, uh, you know, Abraham and Sarah had looked at themselves and said, we're dead. We're just dead. And now there's life. There's Isaac. And it was the weaning of Isaac. And it was a time of, of, of great, great happiness and celebration as the promised child had come. But this whole celebration had become, really, from Sarah's words here, a time of a declaration of death. There was a declaration of death. That's what she did. And we saw how it all started when Sarah saw Isaac mocking uh, sorry, saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. That's what she saw. And a- after our study last time, Clinton came up to me and he said, he said, you know, I think you got it wrong because I had said that Ishmael was 14 years old. And Ishmael was 14 years old when Isaac was born. But Isaac's now weaned and it's probably about three or, three or maybe four years later. So we can really say that Ishmael at this time was around 17 years old. So at the weaning celebration here, Sarah sees Ishmael, who let's, who, who let's just say he's around 17 years old, and he's mocking Isaac. She sees that. And she became, as we saw, absolutely enraged. She was incensed. She was uncontrolled. And she vents all of her anger toward Abraham, as we saw from those four words in, in verse 10, wherefore she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with, with, with my son, even Isaac, with Isaac. So she demands that Abraham throw him out like trash, throw him out, throw out Hagar, throw out Ishmael. And you notice in verse 10 how Sarah has gone out of her way to divorce herself from Ishmael by calling him these names. He calls, he calls him he's a, this, this, this bondwoman and her son, and the son of this bondwoman, these names. And we can see in Sarah's words that Sarah's really pushing Ishmael away and calling him not just the son of Hagar, not just the son of the bondwoman, but she chooses her words carefully. She calls him the son of this bondwoman. And not just any bondwoman, but this bondwoman. This bondwoman who, when she despised me, she took, she tried to take my place as wife. And not only do we feel this rage that Sarah's in, and this jealousy that's so hot with her, but we feel all the despising and the rejecting that Sarah has, has mustered against Hagar and against Ishmael. And you notice in verse 10 how this sets Ishmael, Sarah is really setting Ishmael away, she's setting Ishmael away from Isaac, her son. She calls Isaac her son. And so in verse 10, the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So when we look at Sarah's words in verse 10, the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac, we see a woman who could not be more rejecting of Ishmael as as a son of her husband, as a son of Abraham, or really isn't as her son. And let's just freeze that picture of Sarah for a moment here and think about what we're looking at. What are we seeing? 
you know, before we go any further with this, we just want to sort of divert a little bit and just say a, a few comments on how we've been studying the Bible and say a little bit about what is really the best way to treat this book. I mean, how do you study the Bible? That's a common question. What's the best way to learn from the Bible? How's the best way to learn from the Bible? As believers, this is a great book for us. The Bible is a great book. It's not from men. We understand that. It's from God. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where Paul said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So it's the book that's the word of God. It's the book that works in us when we receive it as the word of God. It does something in us. It changes us. In this book, we find life. We've been born again by the Bible. That's what it says in 1 Peter 1.23, where it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible is the book the Spirit of God uses in our lives. He brings us personal messages to, from the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us life. And that's what he meant when he said in John 6.63, it's the Spirit that quickeneth, or that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Bible is the place where we find comfort in our trouble. As it says in Psalm 119.50, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The comfort that we do find in the Bible, it just far surpasses all the comfort when we try to bring ourselves to the comfort, when we try to comfort ourselves, we only become weaker. When we try to comfort ourselves, we become weaker. When God comforts us, we become alive. That's what it meant when Jeremiah said in John, uh, Jeremiah 8.18, where he said, when I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart faint. My heart is faint in me. The Bible brings us a personal light into our personal darkness. We have personal darkness. God brings us a personal light. We, it brings us, we have personal ignorance, and God gives us a personal understanding. And that's what David meant when he said in Psalm 119.30, when he said, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. So the Bible is what we believe. It's what we believe. It's the foundation of our faith. It's a faith in what? Faith, we have faith in the Bible. So in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Bible is the book. What it does is when we come to this book, it unmasks all of our facades. It strips us out from all of our self-deceptions, and it shows us like a big mirror. It shows us who you really are who I really am. It shows us that. And when we see that, we run to God because we say, well, if that's who I am, I need God. And that's what Hebrews 4.12 is meaning when it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the big, big problem that we have in our lives is summed up with one word, righteousness. We have a problem with righteousness. We are so prone to not go right. 
And the Bible is the book that helps us in our righteousness. It shows us in our lives what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And that's 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, showing us what is right. For reproof, showing us what's not right. For a correction, showing us how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, showing us how to stay right. The Bible is the book that when we were unconverted, the Bible converted our soul. When we were foolish, the Bible stood down our foolishness and stands down our foolishness today and makes us wise. When we're sad, The Bible stands down our sadness and it rejoices our heart. When we're in this darkness, the Bible stands down our darkness and gives us enlightenment. And all of that is what David meant in Psalm 19, 7 through 8, when he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the question really is, how do I get all this? How do I get all this from the Bible? How do I learn from the Bible? Well, what's the best way to learn from the Bible? That's the question on the table. And the key for us to learn the Bible is a very unusual verse, and I would like you to turn to it in Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Proverbs 24 verses 30 through 34. Because there's a key given to us in this this little section here about how King Solomon learned learned he was learning something else but and you might okay so you turn to that so Proverbs 20 30 34. So here was Proverbs here's what Solomon said. He says, "I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding." And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. So he's describing the situation. The stone wall was broken down. So he's describing what he saw. And then he says, and this is very important, this next verse. Then I saw and considered it well and looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. So King Solomon here has explained to us this wisdom that he learned about how a person becomes poor, how he goes to poverty. And it's the process that's so important for us that we want to focus in on because he's explaining to us in verse 32 and what we get out of this are, it comes to us from four verbs. There's four verbs in verse 32. And it's the key for us because in these four verbs, it describes to us the four steps that happen as we, when we really learn from the Bible. So what's the first verb? What's the first verb in verse 32? You tell me. Saw, right. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Finally, he asked a question somebody knew the answer to. All right, so, all right, he saw. He saw this, right? He saw. Now, to see, it just speaks of observation. He stood back. He looked at this. He says, well, well, what is this? Oh, look, you know, thorns, nettles, wall broken down. He's seeing. He's taking, seeing it all. He's getting it all, seeing what's there. That's the first step to learning the Bible, just to read it. Just to understand what it's saying. It's just to look at what is the context 
It's to say, what's the setting? Who are the characters? Who said what? That's the seeing. That's the first step in learning from the Bible, to understand what it's saying. It's encompassed all in this word, saw. Okay? What's the second verb in verse 32? Considered. Considered. Not just only considered, he considered it well, it says. That's to go beyond the surface and ask questions as he did. He says, why is these nettles growing in the thorns? Why is this wall broken down? And who's responsible? And so forth. And that's what we do. We say, why did he or she say that, that they said in the Bible? Why did he or she do that? What was his intention? What was, what's on his mind? Well, to consider it well is to go deeper into looking at the motives and probing with the questions. What type of person is this person? What kind of character do we have here? And then we have now the third verb, and what is it now? Looked. He says, I looked upon it. I looked upon it. To look upon it is to stand back and just look at it. To step out of the trees and look at the forest. It's to see the situation, try to draw some conclusions about it. So, well, you know, to look upon it is to step back and just look at it as a whole, which is what we're doing right now with the case of, of the, the Sarah and Abraham. And all that, all that, it takes time. It takes time to see the passage and consider it well and then to stand back and look on it. That's why we're not flying through the book of Genesis. That's why we've been at this for over two years and you're asking yourself the question, how come we're not through the whole Bible by now? <laughs> why are we only on the first 21 chapters? There's 1,500 chapters in the book. We'll never get through it. Probably not. But anyway, because, it takes time because, because we, we saw the words that Sarah said right now. She spoke. We've considered it well and asking, you know, why did Sarah say those things? And now we're doing this third step and we're stepping back and we're looking at the situation as a whole with all the characters in place and seeing them all in their place. And, and when you do these three steps, you see the persons and the situations and what happened. You consider the personalities that are there. You look over the scene, then something wonderful happens, and that's the fourth verb. But what verb is that? Received. You see, that's the fourth verb. Received instruction. That's when we learn. Then is when we receive the instruction. Now, in order to receive instruction, we, it, it needs to have been given to us. It's been given to us. In order for there to be a receiver, there has to be a giver. And the giver is God. That's when God, we receive instruction because God gives us the instruction. And when we put in the time and take the Bible seriously and read it and consider it and then step back and look over it again, that's when God steps in and says, you know what, I can see you're really serious about this book. I really see that you're mean business. And so I can see that you're seeing it that you're considering it, and you've stepped back and you're looking at it as a whole, then he says, all right, now I'm going to give you the instruction. And that's what happens. And that's the best way to learn from the Bible. That's it. That's the best way to learn from the Bible, to receive the instruction from God. Now, that was a long explanation of what we're doing right now, which is stand back and look at Sarah. We're looking at Sarah. So here's Sarah. She's 100%. We're stepping back now. We're looking at the situation again. She's 100% divorcing herself from Ishmael. And she's saying, I want nothing to do with Ishmael. Nothing at all to do with him. He's not son of Abraham. He's the son of this bondwoman. And, and as we see Sarah doing this, we can imagine Sarah clutching Isaac and saying, not with Isaac, not with Isaac. 
you know, that's what she's doing. And so as we're looking at this scene, we keep this in mind, and we think back on another scene that we've studied. You might want to turn to that. In, in Genesis 16, 1 through 2. So it's the first two chapters of that verse, of that chapter, the first two verses of that chapter, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is a different scene. And this scene, which says, now Sarah, it says in Genesis 16, 1 through 2, now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. She had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be, now look what she says. It may be, I may obtain children by her. In other words, what was going to be born from Hagar was going to be Sarah's children. And, and, and Abram hearkened to her voice. It hearkened to the voice of Sarah. The Sarai, this is what it says. So there we saw that Sarah's proposal was that I may obtain children by her. So she proposed that say, Abraham make this baby with Hagar so that Sarah could obtain the children by her. That would be Sarah's children. Sarah's idea was that Ishmael would be Sarah's son. And, and, and when Hagar, she was just a surrogate mother in the whole affair. Now, as we look at this scene in Genesis 16.2, and the scene we're studying in Genesis 21.10, we ask the question, what happened? What? Where's the disconnect here between the Genesis 16 and the Genesis 21? How could Sarah go from Genesis 16, Ishmael's going to be my son, to Genesis 16.2, so Genesis 21.10, to Ishmael's the son of this bondwoman? What happened? And by the way, before we leave, this verse here in Genesis 16.2, and then take a note there where at the end where it says, and Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. It wasn't his idea. So what we see here is that Sarah has done very, very wrong. And why has Sarah done wrong? Because Sarah did what was not to do, told in Proverbs 3, 5, where it says, trust not, you know, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. So, and then in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God says, my thoughts, they have nothing to do with your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. My thoughts, nothing to do with your thoughts. Your ways, nothing to do with my ways. For as the heavens higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts were not Sarah's thoughts. Sarah's thoughts were that she needed to solve the problem of the infertility in the home. God's thoughts were not that Sarah should solve the problem of the infertility in their home. God's thoughts was that God was going to solve the infertility problem. And Sarah's ways was that she should use Hagar as a surrogate mother. And God's ways were not that Hagar should be used as a surrogate mother. I just heard of a Christian couple, we know for a long time, this week, where the wife left her husband and is now dating other men. And he begged and begged and begged and says, you know, don't leave. The Christians, you know, don't leave. Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? And she answers the gave. The, she gave the answer. It's just like this. She said, uh, because I'm not happy being married to you, is what she said. And then she said, and God wants me to be happy. That's what she said. <laughs> so, okay. Now, her thoughts that she needs to make herself happy are not God's thoughts. And her ways of leaving her husband and dating other men are not God's ways, very simply put. Now, look now, go back to Genesis 21 and the verse 11. Where again we read in verse 11, and the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight 
because of his son. Now, the word translated thing, the thing, it, it, it's not really thing, you know. It's debar. It's, it's a bar, which means word or saying. You know, it's the name the Jewish people give to the book of Deuteronomy, debarim, the sayings. You know? So it was the saying, that, what she said, it wasn't the thing, it was the, thing, the saying that she said. It was because that was very distressing to Abraham. It's what she said that, that was disturbing. Okay, so her words. Sarah's words, they just cut right to the bone of Abraham. You can't imagine it. And in fact, it says, very grievous in his sight. And the word sight there, it's not normally how the word is translated. Sight normally means in the face. It actually, this word in Hebrew means the eye. It was, in the, it was very, very, very disturbing in his eye, in Abraham's eye. And that means that Sarah's words were right in Abraham's eyes. He couldn't get them out of his eyes. Sarah's words shattered Abraham. Sarah's words were wicked to Abraham. Sarah's words dashed him in pieces, as we saw from Psalm 2. And he couldn't get away from Sarah's words. They were in his eye. They haunted him. And Abraham was just in a terrible state. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Remember, as we mentioned at the start of our program, Museum Day is coming up Saturday, September 27th here at the Creation and Earth History Museum. For more information, go to creationsd.org, creationsd.org. You can also go to creationsd.org for creation materials and teachings, and even materials by Tom Cantor. You can find more information about Tom Cantor also at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to continue supporting this Bible teaching radio program, Old Testament teaching radio program with Tom Cantor. Friendship with God is a listener-supported radio program. By your donation and support, it helps us to continue broadcasting so that others might be edified, but also supports Jewish evangelism and the gospel going out to the Jewish people and even Gentiles. So we'd like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program with your one-time or monthly donation. Again, you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org or call us now at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Continue this Bible teaching radio program going on your station in your city. 800-247-3051.